Good morning, River Ridge. So good to be with all of you this morning, this beautiful day. Uh, we get to gather together and worship together. If, uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Matt. I'm a student ministry director here at River Ridge. And I just wanna say welcome. If this is your first time joining us or second or third time joining us and you haven't taken the step of filling out a Connect card yet, I just wanna invite you to do that. That helps us get to know who you are so that we can come alongside you and take your next steps in your journey with God, whatever that might be. Uh, you can see the Connect cards in the seat backs in front of you or you can do it online. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand with us this morning. We're gonna open up with a song that's actually made after a psalm. So I just wanna read this psalm for us this morning. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This is Psalm 24. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, Listen to what it says. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Love what it says. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is He, the King of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the King of glory. Come on, let's worship Him this morning.
came along and put me back together. And every desire now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. There's nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid.
as God is the only one who can. I love celebrating that song, but if we can go back to that song just before that one second, the reckless love of God, and I don't know who here needs to hear this, but like Luke chapter 15 tells us about the lost sheep. And I love that song, especially working with students because we are, we are all once that lost sheep, right? That God goes after the one. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one and he celebrates it joyfully with the, over the one sheep that he finds. And I don't know if you're here today and you were that once that lost sheep, but you've been found. Can we just celebrate that one time that God came after you, that God never stopped searching for you. And if you're here today and you're wondering what this is all about, then we are here for you. Like God is chasing after you just as much as he chased after each one of us. So you guys can go ahead and have a seat. At this point in the service, we're gonna continue our time of worship through a time of giving. And this is really an opportunity for us who call River Ridge home to be able to give back to God. Just, just as worship is giving our breath back to God, giving our tithes and offerings is a way for us to give back financially. Uh, there's many different ways that you can give. Uh, we'll throw that up on the screen. If you're here in the building, there's cash or check uh, boxes located every, every exit as you leave. Uh, you can give online. If you're watching online, you can also go to riverridge.tv give. However you choose to do so, I just wanted to encourage you that like your giving actually allows us to reach children, to reach students, to reach people of all ages. Big kicks coming up. It's one of the opportunities we have to go in the community because of your giving. So let's pray for this offering this morning. God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together to encourage one another. God, thank you that you never stop chasing after us. God, I, pray, I thank you for the promise that you give us in your scripture that you are celebrating every time one repents. God, every time one person is found for you. And God, that, that you leave those 99 to go search for them. So God, I pray that this tithe and offering would be able to go out into our community. God, that we'd be able to serve the families, the kids, the students, the people that call River Ridge home, but also those that we'll be able to go after those that, that don't know you. So God, we love you. We pray for this offering. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan, and this is what's happening around the Ridge. May is National Foster Care Month, and we have exciting news. This fall, River Ridge is launching a new ministry called Foster WV. The purpose of the ministry is to create a community of support, encouragement, and prayer for the children and the families in foster care. Just like every family, foster families need others to walk alongside them on their journey. And we believe that everyone can do something. The first step to launching this new ministry is to identify the current foster, adoptive, and kinship families in our church. On Tuesday evening, May 24th, we're hosting a Foster WV Roundtable to hear from these families on how to support and best provide for them in our community. If this is you, visit riverridge.tv slash fosterwv or just scan the code to learn more. Childcare and light snacks will be provided. Big Kick Soccer Camp is three weeks away. If you haven't already registered your child for Big Kick, make sure to do so today by scanning the QR code or head over to riverridge.tv slash bigkick. Big Kick will be June 6th through 9th at Valley Park here in Hurricane. And our vision for Big Kick is just to invest into the lives of kids who attend church here and invite others to join in. 
Big Kick is an amazing opportunity to invite friends to experience the community and fun of our church. So tag a friend on social media, drop off an invitation, or simply send a text to invite someone in your circle to join us. Today, today is the day that we get to celebrate all of those who serve here at River Ridge. Since, you know, you're impacting lives for eternity and reaching people with the gospel, we figured that the least that we can do is get you some ice cream. But seriously, we never wanna miss a moment to say that we appreciate the seen and unseen things that you do to love the people at our church so well. If you serve in one of our ministries here at River Ridge, find your ministry leader, get a ticket, head to the South Lobby parking lot and get some ice cream. It's just one of the many ways that we wanna say thank you for all that you do. And now let's continue our service with a message in our current series, Wiser. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all out this morning. Welcome to those that are joining us online. I mean, it's been a great morning already, just meeting with God through song and through worship, and now we get to meet with him through his words. Let me pray for us as we get started. Um, Father, we do thank you. Um, we stand in awe of your mercy and your grace and the fact that you continue to pursue us. So God, now as we come into your presence uh, of your word, we just pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to hear from you, uh, help us to leave here changed as a result of meeting you and encountering you in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, real quick, before we get started into the message, just a, a quick follow-up from a couple weeks ago. Uh, during the last series that we did called A Faith That Follows, we talked about what it is that, that the church's mission is all about and how it is that we can engage in that mission. And one of the things that we are excited about and love being a part of is the fact that we have so many young families that come here week in and week out, and we have the opportunity, the privilege, to be able to engage the next generation with the message of Jesus' grace and his forgiveness. And over the last several months, the number of folks that have started coming back, we've increased by several hundred people over the last few months. Um, and that's a great opportunity for us, but what we wanna be able to do is to pour into these new families and these new kids that have been coming in. And to do that well, we need about 35 of you to step into a small group leader role, either from preschool all the way through middle school so that we can engage the hearts and the minds of these families. Um, our team will make sure that you have all the preparation, all the training that you need. And as an added bonus, the, the curriculum that we use around here is incredible. And, and as you begin to engage with this curriculum to teach the, these kids, you'll find that your knowledge of God and that your faith, your own faith, will grow as a result of that. So we need about 35 of you to, to step into the ranks and to join some of the best people that we know around here and join some of these serving teams. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, the best way to do that this morning, inside the, the chair box in front of you is a Connect card. Just fill that out, let us know where it is that you would be interested in, in, um, in serving in this next fall and either drop it off in the boxes in the back or better yet, Mary Ann will be out in the lobby after the service to answer any questions. And again, what we want, want to do is to answer the questions that you have, let you shadow for a couple of weeks, make sure it's a good fit for you and we'll get you prepared and, and ready for the fall in just a few months. Um, but now we are in this series 
called Wiser, where we're looking at how it is that we can walk through this life with more wisdom. One of the core values here at River Ridge is that we believe that living God's way is better. That is that we believe that, that when we align our lives with what God says is true, with the principles of how it is that he designed life to be lived, that we experience the full life, a life that's full of joy and peace and flourishing. And so this series is looking at, at some of the key areas of life that we want to invite God's wisdom into. And today we're talking about how to get wiser with our money. And the Bible has a ton to say about money and about possessions. Uh, really interesting fact that I found this week, um, prayer, faith. I mean, that, those are big topics. Uh, there's about 500 verses uh, in the Bible that talk about prayer. And we kind of expect that. I mean, that's a big deal. There, there's about 500 verses that deal with faith as well. But there are over 2,000 verses on how we think about our money and our possessions and what we do with our money and our possessions if you follow the ministry of Jesus, he used these stories called parables, where he would teach these spiritual truths by, by telling a story. There are 38 of those that are recorded in, um, in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, and 16 of those deal directly with money or possessions. Those that, that count these sorts of things say that one in every 10 verses in the gospels deal with money or possessions over and over again throughout God's word, we, we see these warnings, these, these flashing caution signs around money. So as we were laying out this series about what it means to live wisely and to walk with God through this life, we couldn't ignore our finances. And the reason why our money and our possessions are so important to God, and the reason why it should be so important to us can be summarized in what Jesus says. Jesus says, <laughs> for, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the things that we spend the most time pursuing, the, the things that we spend the most time prioritizing in our lives will be the things that ultimately shape our lives, that, that will have the most influence on our hearts and on our minds. And God knows that the, the number one competitor for our hearts the, the number one distraction for our attention is our money. It, it's our possessions. What God intended to be a blessing in our lives, what, what God intended to be this thing that his generosity that, that flows into our lives is meant to flow out to others and to bless others, this thing that God intended to be such a blessing can become the thing that we close our hand around. It can be the thing that, that we end up idolizing, the thing that we begin to worship and, and the thing that we turn, turn to for, for security and identity. And, and this has always been true. Jesus was talking about this 2,000 years ago. This is the truth of just the human heart. But we live in a day and an age where the pursuit of money, where the, the pursuit of, of possessions and materialism, it's constantly in front of us. We're always bombarded with it. And what Jesus knew and what God knows is that it can junk up our hearts. It, it can mess up our thinking. It, it can be the thing that binds us and the thing that, that prevents us from chasing after loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Because I, I want more for you than that. I, I want to lead you to a place where you can experience financial freedom. He, he wants to lead us to a place where we're free from the constant pursuit of more. Uh, the number one lie that money tells us is that I'll be happier when. 
I'll be happier when I have just a little bit more, just a little bit more and then I can finally settle down a little bit. Just a little bit more and I can finally relax. Then I'll be content. We buy into this myth of more and, and it's almost impossible not to. I mean, with, with social media and with technology, we, we look around and we are always seeing what someone is driving and where they are living and where they're vacationing and the upgrades that, that, that they've had in their life. And if we're not careful, we can get a little discontent. We, we start comparing ourselves to others and we start feeling a little less than. And we're afraid that, that we might be missing out on something or, or that maybe our kids are missing out on some opportunity and we become convinced that, that our satisfaction, that our happiness, that our identity, that our worth, it's found on the other side of that next purchase, of that next promotion. And once you get on that hamster wheel, it's really hard to get off. In our culture, again, this comparison, this discontentment, it just fuels the chase after the next thing and the next thing, and it never really ends, and subtly, and perhaps without us even knowing, our hearts and our lives get distracted and get pulled away from the thing that we would say we want to be about, pursuing God's kingdom, and instead we start pursuing stuff. And in his love for us, God says, you were made for so much more than that. I want to rescue you, free you from this empty pursuit of more so that you can experience real life, so you can experience real meaning and real purpose in your life. So God says, I want to free you from this constant pursuit of more that society is pushing at us. And he says, I also want to free you from this unnecessary financial stress. Now, I'm not saying that, that we will be free from all financial stress. There's just some stress that comes with, with being responsible and taking care of our families. There will always be a little bit of stress that's involved, but, but what God wants to do is he wants to rescue us and free us from this unnecessary or, or this excessive stress that comes into our lives. And financial stress is just the norm of American society. I, I found some statistics this week. Uh, the, the American Psychological Association said that 72% of Americans feel stressed about money. Um, and I think part of that is tied to these others, that, that the average American has $6,200 in credit card debt, that they're hanging on, and it just uh, enters into their mind all the time. 40% of Americans cannot cover uh, a $400 emergency. They, they don't have enough cash saved to be able to, to pay a $400 emergency. And that 64% live paycheck to paycheck. And what that means for us is that if our church is average, then better than half of you, uh, if you lost your job or, or you didn't get paid, you would not be able to make your mortgage payment. You would not be able to make your rent payment or, or the next car payment. And what's normal in our culture is just nonstop financial stress. What, what's normal in our society is divorcing over financial problems. What's normal and our society is lying awake at night worrying and panicking about the bills that are mounting up and that are sitting on the counter and you don't really know how it is that you're going to pay them. It's an awful feeling that, that God never intended and never wanted us to experience. And God says, you don't have to settle for what's normal. This doesn't need to define your life. I wanna lead you to a full life. 
to a flourishing life that, that is free from this pursuit of comparing yourself to others and trying to chase after more and from some of the stress that's entered into your life. So how do we do that? How do we experience financial freedom in our lives? How, how do we deal with our money more wisely in the way that God intends? The first, if you're taking notes, is that we need to learn to be content. We need to learn to be content. Our tendency is to think that contentment will come when our, our needs and our wants are met. We, we tend to think that the contentment is this external thing out there. But contentment is not an external matter. It, it's not something that can be acquired with more stuff. God says that contentment is actually a heart issue. That, that contentment is actually a, a mindset that has to be learned. I, I love how Paul describes his journey towards contentment in Philippians 4. Paul says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul starts off the bat, and he says, I want you to realize that contentment is independent of circumstances. He said that he has been content in times of plenty, and he has been content in times of want, where he had needs in his life. Contentment is not tied to how life is going. Contentment is not tied to our bank account balances. And then Paul shares this famous verse that, that people often misapply, and he says, I can do all things. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. The, the context of Philippians 4.13 that oftentimes you'll see under uh, guys' eyes for when, when they have the, the blackout on is that the context is, that, is not that, that Christians will never fail. The context is not that the Christians will catch every football that comes their way or pass every test that they take. The context is Paul saying that he has learned contentment in his life when he realized that he could handle anything in life if he remained close to Jesus. Biblical contentment is that you don't necessarily love everything as it is, but you can have peace with everything as it is. Because we, we learn to rest in our relationship with Jesus. We learn to trust in his sovereignty. We learn to trust in his provision and his timing. What, what Paul is saying to us is that contentment is not found when we have more stuff in our lives. Contentment is found when we realize that Jesus is enough. Contentment is not found when we have more stuff in our lives. We need to get rid of believing that. Contentment is found when we realize that Jesus is enough. And here's the hard truth, is that if you can't learn contentment in the here and now, you won't find it in the then and there. We have to learn to be content in our present circumstance. And Paul paints a really bleak picture of life for those that are chasing after contentment outside of Jesus. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, those who want to get rich, they fall into, fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice the words that Paul uses to describe those who want to get rich, who are eager for money, who, who think that more will bring them the contentment that they want. He uses words like temptation and trap. It's gonna plunge, ruin, destruction, evil. It, it's not that money is evil. What Paul is saying again is it's the love of money 
that is evil. That, that's the root of all kinds of evil. The temptation and the trap of discontentment is that it whispers to us, again, if you had just a little bit more, then you wouldn't have to think about money anymore. Then you wouldn't have to worry about money anymore. And what ends up happening is as we follow after that, that whisper, we begin to sacrifice. We, we sacrifice a little bit of time away from the family and a little more time in the office. We sacrifice a little bit of our character by not being completely transparent and honest when we close that cell. And when that happens, the, the hook is set a little bit deeper and that trap closes a little bit tighter. This is the dark side of discontentment that no one talks about. That, that it, it fills our hearts with greed and envy and comparison and guilt and regret. And because of that, it hurts us physically. The, the amount of harm that we do to our bodies because of the stress that we put on ourselves, we, we lose sleep at night. It, it hurts us relationally. It, it destroys families. It, it ruins marriages. And spiritually even, uh, Paul says that it, it causes that, that money, that the draw of money can cause people to even turn their back on God, that they can drift away from pursuing after God and start ch choosing to, to pursue after money. And so Paul is saying, listen guys, don't be indifferent. Don't be indifferent to the effects of unchecked discontentment in your life. It'll ruin you. And so we need to be aware of the things that, that stir up discontentment in our lives. And we all have those things. I mean, we have those things that we have some people in our lives, when they get something, we can celebrate with them. I mean, I am glad. I, I would much rather have a friend that has a boat or a pool than actually own a boat or a pool myself. So there are things out there where people have one, like, yay, I'm glad that you have one. But there are also some things out there, if you have one, I want two of them. And it stirs within me this discontentment, and I start doing the math in my head. I'm like, well, I could refinance this. It, what Paul is saying is you need to be mindful. You need to be aware of those things that tug at your heart more than they need to. And you need to learn to flee from those things while we are learning what it is to be content with Jesus alone. So the first step to financial freedom is to learn to be content. That what that means is that we have to chase after Jesus more and we have to flee from those things that, that stir discontentment in our hearts. The second thing that we need to do is to choose to live below our means. So much of the, the financial stress that we feel in our lives is because our lifestyles are constantly butting up against our income. Um, and if I'm going to experience financial freedom, then what I need to be able to do is to make the conscious decision that I'm gonna live below our means, below my means. I'm gonna live off less than what I earn. And that requires a plan, also known as a budget. Now, now, half of you, when you heard that word budget, your ears perked up and you immediately thought, man, this is some inspired preaching right here. I mean, that, <laughs> the, the, the nerds in the room, like we are just drawn to budgets, we're, we're drawn to, to spreadsheets. The other half are saying, you know what, I think I'd rather stab myself in the eye while I'm getting a root canal. <laughs> budgets, I think budgets sometimes get a bad rap because what ends up happening is people think that they're just restrictive, that, that it's meant to just suck all of the fun out of your life. But a better way, I think, of thinking about a budget is it's simply telling your money where to go. It, it's deciding ahead of time how you will spend the money and not just being reactive to it in choosing to live below your means so that you can have some margin in your life, so you can have some breathing room between what you earn 
and what you spend. And, and here's what you'll find, is that if you will live below your means, if you will build some cushion, some margin in your life and your finances, then you can deal with the unexpected emergency. You can deal with that unanticipated car repair. You can replace the appliance when it needs to, and it doesn't create this angst, this, this panic of how it is that you're going to shuffle money around to pay for it. If you have margin in your, in your finances, then you can be generous to those that are in need. Over and over again, we're called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, and if we have margin in our budgets, then if we become aware of a need in someone's life, we can walk towards it, and we can meet that need and be a blessing to them. Sarah and I actually have a line in our budget called blessing that, that's to remind me to, to keep my eyes open on how it is that I can use God's resources in my life to bless someone else. And if we have margin, we can also chase after an opportunity that God opens up for us. If God nudge you, nudges you to, to go on a missions trip, you can do it. If God pushes you or opens up a door to, to change careers or, or to change a vocation, you have the ability to pursue it. Um, when Sarah and I were engaged, a, a friend and a mentor took us out to dinner before we got married. He said, I'm gonna give you the best marriage advice that I can. Choose now to live off only one income. So from the very beginning, before we had any kids, we chose to live well beneath our means. And I can look back now and see how much freedom that brought into our lives. Because when the kids started coming along, Sarah was able to cut back to part-time and, and be home with them and didn't have to cause this huge stress in our lives. Five kids is enough stress as it is. You, you don't need to add the strain of feeling like she had to work in order for us to make ends meet. And then when we felt God calling us to be a part of launching this church, we were able to, to pivot and make the move to, to go all in, to, to say yes to what God was opening up for us because we weren't bound by a bunch of debt. Uh, we, and we had the margin to allow me to, to switch careers. Some of you are here this morning and you're going, man, I wish I would have heard this five years ago. And you're sitting there going, right now I'm drowning in debt and I would love to experience that margin, but how do I get there? If that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone and, and that you can approach it with hope. Now, I'll also be honest and say it's gonna take some time and it's gonna take some, some of those unglamorous things like sacrifice and delayed gratification and self-control. But, but God wants to do that kind of character building in you anyway. And if you want to pursue what that looks like, we have some folks in our church that would love to come alongside of you that can equip you, give you some tools to be able to do that, but also encourage you on this journey. These first two principles of learning what it is to be content with what we have and, and choosing to live below our means, those principles are for anyone. Whether you are a Jesus follower or not, if you can learn to be content and live below your means, you can have some financial freedom in your life. But this last one is just for followers of Jesus, but it is a powerful, transformative step in our lives. Uh, later in that same passage in 1 Timothy 6, Paul continues his instruction to, th to Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus who's trying to instruct these young believers on what it is to chase after God. And he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And notice right away that he, he doesn't condemn those that are rich. There, there are just some of those that are in the congregation that, that had a knack for making money, that God had blessed them in some way. So he wasn't condemning them for being rich. Money is neutral. There's nothing wrong with having money, but what he does is he warns them. He warns them that, that if you have a lot of money, if you are rich in this present day, don't let it go to your head. Don't become arrogant. Don't look down on other people. And he says, and don't put your hope in it. Don't build your life on your possessions. They are temporary. They are uncertain. You can't take it with you. There is never a U-Haul that's hitched to the back of a hearse. You can't take any of it. So Paul's saying, don't, don't put your hope in that kind of stuff. Instead, he says, place your hope. Place your faith in the one who has provided those things for you to begin with. And so what does that look like? What is practically, what does that look like? He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God says when it comes to money, when it comes to experiencing joy and peace, life that is truly life, it's all about priority. What, what, what he is saying to us is we are to be rich in good deeds to others. And we are to be rich in good deeds towards God's kingdom before, before we are rich towards our own kingdom. For most people, we have a priority list that, that we kind of run down as we use money that comes into our lives. It looks like this, that we live, we save, we give, we, we live, we, we go through life, and we're pretty good at this one. We, we buy the things that we want to buy, we, we pay, uh, repay debt for things that we couldn't quite afford, we, we pay taxes to the government, we, we live. And then if there happens to be something left over after that, we may set aside a little bit for our retirement or for some kind of future purchase. And on the off chance that there's anything left over after that, we, we may choose to, to give to our community or to a charity or to a, to a church. That, that, that is the norm for how most people prioritize spending. And as long as we follow this list, God is relegated to what's left over. He's not really invited in at the beginning and our hearts will continue to be distracted and our hearts will still continue to, to be lured over to pursuing stuff. And God says, stop. There's a better way to live that, that frees you from the bondage of all that stuff and that invites me into the core of who you are, that, that thing that you look to for security and identity, and it can have these powerful impacts in our lives. And if you give generously, God says, if you give generously to my kingdom and my agenda, I'm gonna use you in ways that you would have never imagined. So the third thing that we need to do if we wanna experience freedom is to give to God first. God says, I, I want you to flip that list. I want you to put me and others first. Give, save, live off the rest. Give, save, live off the rest. And when we get that priority right, then we begin to, to break the stronghold that, that money and possessions can sometimes have in our hearts. There are some of you here this morning and, and you listen to this and, and you want to honor God 
with your finances, but you look at your current situation and you think, if I just had more money, then I'd be generous. And that's an easy logic for all of us to, to, to get into. When I get that job, when I get that raise, when I get my kids through college, then, then I can be generous. And that sounds great. It sounds logical, except that statistics don't bear that out. Uh, most people in our country who make more give less. So if you want to be healthy in this area of generosity, that the time to start is now, not later. So I, how do we do that? How do we get started on this journey of becoming more generous to the things of God and pursuing his agenda in this world? I think there are a couple types of generosity. One is spontaneous generosity, that, that you see some kind of need, you, it, it kind of pulls on the, the heartstrings a little bit and pops up and you say, okay, whatever I have in my pocket, I'll give to. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's good. That, that is what God wants us to be about, but it's not is transformational. The second one is the transformational type, and that's systematic. This is where we decide ahead of time. I decide ahead of time that I'm going to give a percentage of my income to advance God's agenda before circumstances talk me out of it, before something else pops up. And they will, there will always be things that pop up that are vying for our attention. But systematic um, giving says, I, I'm going to decide ahead of time. I'm going to give a percentage of what God has blessed me with back to him. The Bible talks about a thing called, called the tithe. It's uh, returning 10% back to God. And a long time ago, I, I just embraced this principle for my own life. And I said, whatever God brings into my life, the first 10% is his. And then I'm going to save 10%. And then I'm going to live off 80%. The 10-10-80 rule. I've done this, Sarah and I have done this for years. And it has brought so much freedom in, in my life. And I've done a lot of thinking over the years. Like, why, why would God command this? What, why is it that God would hold up this principle of the tithe? And I think there are a few things that, that can change us. I think 10% of our income is enough to get our attention. But, but it's not enough that it's going to ruin us. It's enough to, to make us rearrange some things in our lives, to, to have to have an intentional plan on how it is that we're going to navigate through life if we're giving this to God. It, it's enough to feel sacrificial. It's, it's enough to, to be sacrificial and that we have to rely on God, that we have to trust in God, and it can build our faith. And it's enough to be transformational in our lives and to really break the stronghold that, that money and stuff can have, and it can grow a generous heart. And I'm not necessarily saying that you need to be there right now. Maybe for you, it's a goal that you can shoot for. I can tell you that the impact that it's had on my life. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Start with wherever you are. And just take a step. Choose a percentage, whatever it is, one, two, four, whatever you want to, whatever it is, but choose a percentage and systematically give back to God. Do it systematically. D decide ahead of time. Do it joyfully to the work that God is doing and see what happens. S see what happens in your life when you begin to prioritize and to invite God into this area of our lives that we often white knuckle. Here's what I think you'll find. I think as you begin to put God first, and as you consistently pour into his kingdom, that your heart will in fact go where your treasure is. That you will begin to see opportunities that you never saw before. That, that you will become more sensitive to the spirit's leading and the needs of others and how it is that God is positioning you to be a blessing in their lives. You'll experience the joy and the freedom and the peace 
that comes from knowing that you are partnering with God to advance his kingdom. And as you let the generosity of God not just stop at you, but to flow through you, that you'll be a part of blessing people and you'll be a part of changing the world. And here's what God says, if you'll do that, that you'll experience life that is truly life, free from worry, free from greed, free from this constant comparison trap that we find ourselves in and full of joy, full of peace, full of purpose and meaning. And that's what God wants for you. That's what I want for you. And we can get that in our lives as we chase after a better way, a wiser way of handling our money. Let me pray for us. God, you know us so well. Our human hearts are just drawn to stuff. But you love us too much to allow us just to fall into that ditch. You you give us these warnings. You pull us back from the ruts of what our heart wants to be drawn towards. But So God, I, I just pray for us this morning that that we, we quiet ourselves before you, that, that you would begin to do a transformational work or continue to do a transformational work in us. We confess that sometimes we are consumed with worry. And we admit that at times we're consumed with, with comparison and, and chasing after more. So Father, would you give us clarity? Would you give us a, a clear vision of the purpose and the plans that you have for our lives so that, so that we can prioritize your kingdom and your work? God, we invite you into our lives and just pray that you would do a work, that you would give us the courage, give us the boldness to, to examine our hearts and see if there's greed or envy or um, anxiousness that, that we need to turn over to you. And then God give us the, the boldness to actually take some steps to invite you in to this area of our lives so that you can change us from the inside out. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you generously give us all of these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thanks for coming out. This morning, again, if you are on a serving team, we invite you to grab one of those tickets and head out and get some ice cream. It's a great breakfast idea. So we'll see you back here next week.